Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And hey, look, it has been quite the year. I am thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful for the fact that our network has continued to expand. We have new podcasts. We have new web shows. I want to thank all of our hosts. We have had some incredible partnerships between LinkedIn and Pfizer and LiveRamp and a few others, Uncork. We've had some really great Um, some really great opportunities to continue to grow as a brand. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the impact that we've been able to, to create here. And, you know, as, as I think about this season, I know often I come on here and I articulate frustration with just the DEI industry and just the nature of white supremacy and oppressive systems and how they really do just exploit black and Brown labor for profit. And that hasn't changed. (laughs) (laughs) That frustration hasn't gone anywhere. I I still feel that way. Uh, But that does not mean that I am not thankful, right? I don't want anyone to think that, you know, it's impossible to hold two things simultaneously, right? I can be angry and frustrated at the nature and state of workplace equity, of organizational justice or the lack thereof. And I can also be thankful for my family. I can be thankful for growth. I can be thankful for inroads that I'm seeing. The thing about it is y'all is that so many of those inroads and so much of that growth is so minuscule in the grand scheme of things that I don't want to give it too much sauce. Cause there's plenty of people out there that are going to say we've come a long way. There's plenty of people out there to say we've made great strides. Like that narrative is out there. So if you want to hear that, you can go listen to any, you can go engage any platform and they're going to say that, right? I'm going to be pushing and challenging for us to push past what is largely theater. And a lot of this is theater, right? When you just look around the hiring and, and placement of black and brown people in these frankly rudderless and powerless positions that have no real authority or leadership or ownership over anything. Um, These statements and these commitments that materialize often into nothing. Um, And and, then frankly, like just a lot of rhetoric and words that sound really compelling to certain ears, but don't actually lead to systemic or organizational change. And so I'm going to continue to push for that. Um, Living Corporate will continue to push for that. The voices that you hear on Living Corporate from our guests to our hosts uh, to uh, anyone really involved with us, engaged with us, they're going to uh, they're going to honor that. They're going to honor the reality of where we're at and where we need to be going. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited with all that being said. I'm really excited 
about the conversation I was able to have with Anthony Harrington today. Anthony Harrington is a chief diversity officer uh, at Providence Health Systems. I'm really happy about our conversation. Uh, really, and I told him, I think I told him like overall vibe was like, it reminded me of like some warm oatmeal. You know what I mean? Like, just like it was real cool, it was real chill. Like it was a nice dialogue, a really good conversation. I think that, um, you know, it's easy in these spaces to get worn down. And Anthony talked about this idea of stamina. Stamina is important. Um, stamina is really, really important. And how and where you recharge is important, right? It's not just about if you recharge, but what fuel you're using to recharge, right? And so we all have different fuel. We all have different things that like really drive us and get us going, right? It's not, you know, it's, it's different for every person, but it's important that that fuel makes sense for you. It needs to be sustainable for you. It needs to do right by you. If you look up and you've been driving for, you know, so many miles and your engine's all jacked up, but you were able to go far. I mean, how good was that fuel, right? It's, it's really um, important that we think about like how we manage and take care of ourselves in this work. When I say we, in this context, I'm talking about black and brown diversity, equity, inclusion leaders, or anyone involved in like, just like seeking to center and amplify marginalized voices because there's traumas that are inflicted upon us. I also think it's important that we don't shy away from the reality that systems and people that inflict harm upon us deserve to be held accountable for that harm, right? So often we just kind of like take punches forever. We sit around and we just kind of like namaste through it, right? And that's not sustainable. That's not honest and that's not honorable to your own body, right? It's actually toxic, right? It's a form of white supremacy. Like, okay, we just supposed to sit back and just take the harm no like we have a we have a right to to be advocated for as much as we advocate for others and so you know as and where you can look to to advocate look to seek advocates right look to have people who are in your corner who can speak up for you who can pour into you and who can challenge and push others back as they're harming you just as you seek to be that advocate for somebody else Anyway, look, I'm really excited about the conversation. If you can't tell, Anthony Harrington, great guy. Thankful for our discussion. Before we get there, though, we're going to tap in with Tristan. So I'm going to see you soon. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, let's discuss a couple of things that you should do when your boss is out of the office. When the holidays begin to roll around, you notice that the office slowly starts to look empty and you start receiving nothing but out-of-office messages. During those times when no one is around or online, it's easy to give in to temptation, surf the web, and waste countless hours on social media. However, you can utilize this free time wisely and maybe even impress your boss. First, try to plan ahead by having a quick meeting with your boss to level set. Ask your manager when they will be taking vacation and put those dates on your calendar. Then discuss what projects or other tasks they would like you to work on while they are away. Be ready to take the initiative and offer up ideas if your boss doesn't have any. Then put them all on your calendar so you don't forget anything. 
If your boss leaves you with a light workload, don't be afraid to ask other team members if there's anything that you can help with. Offering up your assistance is a great way to build or strengthen relationships and show that you're a team player. You might meet someone new, learn about a different role, or better understand another part of the business. You can also utilize this time of peace to learn something new. You can use your company's learning management systems to boost your skills or just get all that required training out of the way. You can check out other sites and even YouTube to boost skills that your company's learning management system may not be able to help you with. Not only can these skills help you become better in your role, but you might be able to use them to land a future role. Lastly, don't forget to recap with your boss what you've done or learned during this time so they know you've made good use of your time without them there. I know it's always a push to stay motivated during the end of the year, but doing a couple of these things will show your boss that you're self-motivated and can be trusted while they're gone. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is, this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first-generation professionals. The other reality? Most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter the Access Point, a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out the Access Point on livingcorporate.tv. Anthony, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's so nice to be with you today. Look, I'm excited. Uh, we connected through a mutual uh, acquaintance, friend, yeah, colleague. Um, let's start with your journey, though. Like, how did you get here? Like, when I say here, I mean, you know, here can be as broad yeah. as you want it to be, man. Like, how did you get here? <laughs> yeah, man, my journey, you know, we all have our unique journeys, right? I'm, I'm born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska, me and my people. And, you know, I, I tell folks, like, we made it to a, even Alaska. You know, our folks came through South Carolina, um, like many of our people did in the South, and, and navigated to, to Alaska. I, I was born and raised there in a Black culture. Um, I played ball growing up, basketball. So I played uh, high school basketball, won a few, won a state championship there, um, played ball in um in the north in uh, in Missouri had family in St. Louis so I spent some time in St. Louis but navigated back to Alaska to finish now what now did we talk about hold on now because we did we talk about what position you like a you like a combo or you like a three I was a part I was a point guard bro Played you're a pure, pure facilitator pure or are you pure point okay yeah slash I was six I'm six three point guard so I had a little size on me and uh you was putting people in the rim that was you that was the game plan always, always, right? You was you yeah. you be you was jumping it. You was you was uh, dunking in like in traffic. I, I wasn't I wasn't dunking in traffic. I was slashing. Oh, finishing, like penetrating, like okay, I got you. Yeah, dishing, hitting the mid range jumper. I I think when I played the three point shot was just um, coming into college basketball, but I I, I was doing my thing, absolutely Respect. with 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 the crew that did their thing, right? Respect. So, 
Yeah, and it's interesting, right? I mean, basketball, it's sports. You know, a lot of learnings that I have today, mm -hmm. I take from those days. You know, how to coach, yeah. how to win, be coached. Man, like even I was watching something. I forgot the coach's name, but I was watching this video about passing the ball, right? Like, so like in like half court sets, how like passing the ball is what moves the defense, not necessarily right. dribbling, right? right? So I was watching this team and they passed the ball like 12 times. Right. And like, <laughs> and you could see like the defense, like just struggling, trying to figure out like, and like literally they were like, they might dribble like one or two times, Anthony, not, not a lot. And mm -hmm. then they finally said, open. Oh. so I hear you about like, just like when I watched, I was like, dang, like, what does that mean? Like, what's the, what's the work? Like, what's the team application of that? Like in, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like in the corporate yeah. spaces, like, cause oftentimes you think about when I think about hooping, I think about like, I'm going to take you ISO at the top, mm -hmm. I'm do my thing, catch you one way. Maybe you do this and maybe I dish. Right. Right. But, but like this, this, but again, so I hear you. I mean, no. And you have it. It's like, and you, you, the other thing is you have it and you know what everybody else's role is too. Mm -hmm. right? So I think that that's the synergies with what we do in our day-to-day -day life. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, just playing guard and playing point guard. I remember being held accountable for when other cats on the team weren't in the right position. Right. And so you start learning not just your own role, uh, begin to being a coach on the court and knowing everybody else's role as well. So I think it's those type of lessons that stick with me today um, and how I work with teams and how I try to be a great teammate. Um, there's definitely some analogies there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Like, so, and I, I, I say that because I think it's a really good opportunity. Like, as we think about like this, this landscape is like, you know, one, so much of DEI, like as I look at it, and, and again, I think like generational context matters too. And I think if you talk to like the average millennial, and not, I mean, millennials in their 40s now, uh, but uh, if you talk to like the black professional who's in like their late 20s, early 30s, like it's a common sentiment that like so much of this space right now is just so like full of like symbolic gestures. And not necessarily as focused on like redistribution of power or the sharing of inf redistribution of power by sharing information, upending systems, creating new policies. When you say sharing information, give me an example. Yeah, you know, I mean, just like, yo, like, what is our what is our strategy for this thing? How are yeah. we building this? Yeah. Um, what's the policy for this? How is someone? How is X person going to be held accountable? Mm. Right. Like, so so you think about like. And so when I think about this space, I just recall even like before I came into this current role, which is like much like exponentially more empowered here than I've ever been anywhere else at Momentum. But, you know, I think about coming from consulting, you know, most of those, the stuff was mm -hmm. like all the stuff around DEI was like performative. It was like, yeah. hey, we're going to have a heart circle or we're going to write a blog or we're going to uh, make a statement. Um, but we're not going to actually revamp our performance management strategy. We're not going to do any type of salary corrections for folks who have been mistreated. Um, we're not going to fire anybody for their racist behavior. Right. And so, so, you know, for me, as I think about, as I think about that, this space, right. Like so much of it is just how is for the look. Right. No, I think, well, that's great context. No, I, for me, folks doing DEI, with that context, 
we'll be talking about this work to the end of days. Yeah. I mean, the work has to be grounded in transparency and accountability. Now, I, I'll tell you how I think about it. And because you, you, when you say the term DEI and what it will look like, it's not just like the discipline, it's the approaches that people take. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? Because it, 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 you know, it suggests that there might be some approaches out there that could work. Um, and one of the things that I've learned, and I learned this through, we were doing some partnerships with the um, Racial Equity Institute of North Carolina. Sister there does amazing work. Um, and she has this metaphor around systemic racism, right? And you might have heard this, right? Like you and I, we look at a lake and we see a fish floating belly up dead. Mm-hmm. You, and I, you and I might look at that fish and be like, uh, What's wrong with that fish? And we might try to find ways to treat it. Like if that fish was a kid in the education system, we might be, oh, that, that young man needs a mentor program or something like that. But if, and if, and, and if the lake was the education system in that metaphor, we come back and there's a thousand fish floating belly up dead. We'd be like, what's wrong with that lake? Right. And we'd be trying to fix the lake. And I think of the lake as systems. And so, um, for me, it's about engineering a long game with this DEI work, where we're being transparent and it's built into um, talent systems and we're holding leaders accountable. Like, literally, like in performance management. Now, one thing about me, and, and, I, and I haven't always been a DEI professional, I've been in sales and, and operations, is folks get paid and get bonus and have merit in those performance management objectives. And it's surprising to me how many organizations don't hold leaders accountable to be inclusive leaders, that aren't holding leaders accountable to grow the diversity of their workforce to meet benchmarks that matter, actually hold it and compensate them for them when they do it. And you know they're held accountable when they don't. I think those are the conversations that get tough um, when you try to do this work, but it, that's the only way it's going to happen when people are held accountable to it. You don't see a lot of that. Yeah, that's a, and that's my point, right? It's like, yeah, you don't see a lot exist. of that. Yeah, like, yeah. It doesn't happen. So yeah, like, yeah. And, so, and so that's where for me, it's like, yeah, you know, like, you know, I think about like the last couple, like the last 18 months, right? Like a black man was murdered on camera and a bunch of people got paid. A bunch of people got paid, you know, like, Influencers got paid and authors, folks wrote books and even like folks who have no business really being in this space, got whole new shiny titles. But I don't see a lot of like policy. Um, And, you know, and and I also don't see um, even when you look at like organizations and people who are in power who could. Right. Now, this is what I'm saying is like the like. uh, Shoot. There's a handful of people. I'm gonna say exceptions to this, like Danny Guillory at Dropbox, Antoine Andrews at Momentum, Damien at Zoom. There's a couple of brothers that I know, people that I know who sit in these roles and who are really aiming to make like some sort of actual change. But like, you know, most of these roles are just, you know, that like that you would think that they would be empowered to create like systemic policy changes, and we haven't really seen that by and large. And like you just said, even like on just accountability you don't not not necessarily you getting fired just like 
Well, and, and, and some of these some of these folks are hired into roles just to say that they have somebody in the role for the for the look, right? right, that's, what, right. That's, yeah. that's some of some yeah. of them don't sit at the table with the CEO. Correct. Correct. Yeah, they might. They typically a lot of them don't even report to the CEO. They report. They report to the VPHR. They report to the CHRO. Right. They're a chief. They're a chief in title only. They don't actually have chief responsibilities or the, uh, uh, you know the they don't have, you know they just that's 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 not the the case. Right. And so you know, but I'll say this is like, it's interesting, right? It's like the the stamina piece. I think that the reality is we were talking a little bit off off mic is like. You know, when I when I make these statements and like even like just the, the role that like black men participate in the patriarchy, which like genuinely holds back everybody, all black people. Uh, but like, you know, the, those co- that, those comments, those observations, it's not necessarily like this, like just gasp of exasperation, Anthony, as much as it's just more me looking at like the landscape. Yeah. Right. And being like, yo, like, look, I, this, you know, you coming on living corporate, we got you know, seven, 800 pieces of recorded media. I've had dozens of conversations, right? I'm, I'm looking at this and having folk, having discussions with folks all the time. So like, I'm seeing this, I'm just seeing this in a much first, not compared to you, but like to the average person, I'm looking at much more field than yeah. like, you know, you know what I mean? And so I don't know, man, I just, I'm really curious about, I'm curious about like what the next, just what this decade holds, right? Like, you know, like, I, I just, I, I feel like things are coming to a boiling point. People say that often, but like, I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think like the way that we're doing workplace equity, the way that we're handling organizational equity, or even like the concept of power and justice. I don't know if, I don't, I don't, I don't see things continuing the way, the way they are without like something like really big happening. That's going to force some, some pivots. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that's fair, man. I think it's fair. I, I you know, I, as my observation, is if we just look at not just the conversations, but you know, history tells us something, right? I, I think one of the things I remember, I, I think about this a lot, Brother Dick Gregory. Mm. Dick Gregory died the day after the drama in Charlottesville, like three mm. or four years ago. And I remember, I think sticks in my head to this day. I was thinking to myself, this brother you know, stood out there as an advocate um, for civil rights and justice. And his last thing he saw before he passed is we dealing with the same madness. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the truth, right? And it, it makes it seem really hopeless. Um, and I stay focused on just trying to make a difference, brother. And no, that, I hear you. Yeah, no, and 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 it is tough. And you that question on what will this look like? I I don't have a lot of optimism on it. Just generally, out there in the society that we live in, um, I believe that people can make change in their networks. Uh, we can make change when we do this work right. Uh, to your point, those organizations that know what they're doing. You gave some examples. There's a handful of those out there. But we have a lot of work to do. We, I don't think we do it in a silo either. I think we create greater change when we come together and create alignment, right? A hundred percent. I think like some of that though, like that scarcity mindset of like just not wanting to collaborate, 
and like really build something. Some of that has to like, so it's almost, it goes back to, to me, it almost goes back to a question of like, what's your actual motive? Like, cause I have talked to organizations that are looking to like, they'll, they'll create different media like DEI related content and they want to create it not for altruistic purposes really, but like as like an asset to help promote whatever, right? Whatever the case is. Um, but it's, it's, it's more like a brand play than it is like a true social impact play. Right. And so, you know, I, I hear you. I agree. I'm looking forward to like, you know, again, like I said earlier, alluding to my job is what's exciting about the pivot I've made and kind of getting away from where I was is that I do feel like I actually have some type of say and power to do, to do more of that rather than just kind of like performative symbolic mm-hmm. stuff. Right. Which is again, like those things over time are draining, you know, to your point though, like you've been an executive leader for several, several years. You're a chief, you're the chief off, you're a chief officer now um, at Providence health and services, you know, it's it's been some time i'm curious like how do you navigate and like pour back into yourself um in this work right like how do you like what does that look like for you yeah this work you know like like i was sharing i haven't always been a dei professional i I worked in sales as a sales leader at pepsi um and i really ground myself in being an enterprise leader so not just around sales i would bring the entire organization along to drive value. And that's when I first started doing DEI work as a volunteer, doing a, joining a number of DEI committees. And, and then when I joined, I started working at Nike after that. And I was doing operations, more supply chain work, Zach. Um, and, but still with that kind of enterprise mindset, and I started doing work with their DEI teams. So what, one of the things that I, I tried to do is even though when I took the DEI, started doing the DEI work, I kind of kept the operational approach. Mm. Working on big projects that require change management, it was important for that work to be embedded in all things that we did, our communication, our brand, how we showed up in our community. And so as I thought about the DEI work and how to apply that same operational mindset to that work, I, I brought that along with me. So some of the, I don't know how we were talking about DEI. While I wasn't a chief, didn't have chief in my title, when I first got into DNI, I was cutting my chops. If you just saw me roll and saw how I handled my business and the leaders that I got in front of, you probably wouldn't know it. So mm. I always try to roll like an enterprise leader, um, represent myself that way. And as I, you know, help. Um, kind of continue my own development and help people um, that are looking out for support and, and guidance with their own development. I rolled like that. So now I'm a chief, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion officer. Those days where I was looking at my boss and man, I sure wish that person would, would, would have went here with the CEO and really been bold or really wish this person would have taken this approach. Only thing that's different now is I don't have that layer in front of me. And I get to actually pilot some things, take some approaches. One of the things that I did when I shut it down and just um, really retired from corporate, I did that for a few years and started doing some consulting work. 
it was a great place for me to treat this work like a petri dish, right? And really just focus on, you know, for me, it's like, um, there's a couple of approaches, right? Those ad hoc initiatives or standalone projects, like a recruiting initiative here, start a ERG there, uh, some training, you know, that's good work. That doesn't have staying power. And so really shifting from that approach to more engineering the long game. Uh, that's how I really try to stay focused in, in, in this work. Um, you know, I, you know, that it's really insidious of how systemic racism is in those systems we talked about. And it's there because of programs and policies over hundreds of years, right? Real hard, real hard to unravel. So one of the things I stay grounded in, and I hope, you know, I pray that this approach works is like when we put good, equitable programs and policies in the system, like in those virtual four walls that we're talking about. Like when I walk away from the work, I want it to be hard to unravel. Mm. I want it embedded in the talent systems, the performance management systems, built into the company's corporate strategic plan, uh, how we compensate leaders. When that's how I think about the work and kind of do the work where that work impacts our employees so they can feel it from a pay equity perspective. They feel like they're in a place where they belong, but also set up the long game. So it's there and it's always um, taking going to the next level year over year over year. That's how I think about the work. You know, so you, you've, you've, you've said the work a few times. We've been talking about the work at large. Like, let's talk about Providence Health and, and Services, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's been over half a year now. Like, why this role and why now? I was telling you, I was just, I was doing consulting work. Yeah, I, I shut it down. I had no plans. That's 30 years, actually. 15 Pepsi, 15, 19. So, and I had some health challenges after I was battling prostate cancer. I got on the other side of that. I was Praise some, God. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I was doing consultant work. And um, a couple of things. One, just watching the sacrifice of caregivers across the country as they navigated through this COVID drama. Right, and just seeing it, seeing the disproportionate impacts to our people. Um, I started having a different perspective on this work in the healthcare realm. I actually had a small healthcare client, um, and Providence hit me up. I actually had a note in my LinkedIn that was sitting there for a month to help Providence Anchorage with um, launching uh, their DEI strategy. And so um, I Followed up. I was born in this hospital. Mm. All my kids were born in Providence, Anchorage. Mm. My in-laws live up the street um, Mm. from that. And that prostate cancer I talked about, it was bad. My life was saved at Providence St. Vincent's Hospital here in Portland. Wow. After after I helped Providence Anchorage with that, I didn't realize that a number of senior leaders in the organizations was on that webinar I put on. So they hit me up and they recruited me. And for me, it's like the cherry on the Sunday, if you think about it. For me, somebody that's passionate about making a difference and making an impact in this work, to be able to do it and also be able to promote health equity and address health disparities in this work, it's like I couldn't really miss out on that opportunity. It fit my sweet spot. I was working for the CEO. Um, which is super important for Providence, Oregon. It's a large system, so I work for the Oregon region. 
but I felt like it's opportunity for me to make an impact, in, you know, in a in a different way. Hmm. That's and that's what and that's what led me. That's what led me to Providence. And I, you know, like you said, I've been here seven months, new to healthcare, right? And so at, at Providence, in some of my research before I took the job, they there was a standing commitment to health equity. Some of it was inspired about those events from last summer. I, I, I couldn't to really get after it. They had really acknowledged that systemic racism exists. Um, they were clear with it. They put a, a dollar commitment to actually make a difference and foster community health and wellness in a real specific mm-hmm. way. So being able to help them with um, amplifying that work to ensure that we're fostering cultural competency across the organization, including with our patient-facing caregivers, ensuring that we're putting same work that you, I'm sure you're doing where you're at. How do we ensure that we're looking at putting metrics in place to grow the diversity of our workforce and our mm-hmm. leadership? And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, no different than many organizations. We have lots of opportunity to really do what we said. You, you said something that really resonated with me. It's how organizations um, put social impact strategies in place and around brand building many times. And, and for me, one of the things that I think is super important for those organizations is it's not just about what you do or what you talk about. People want to know what are you doing right. in your organization? What are you doing? Correct. Yeah. What are you doing to close the wealth gap to ensure that you have, you know, black folks and, and, and other folks that are um, disproportionately marginalized in leadership right. positions? Right. And I think that that's a gap I see. A lot of folks will. And you're probably seeing it now. I haven't even looked on how many organizations are speaking out. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure they're out there because we know the cycle. Um, it's important that organizations do the, the work internally as well. 100 percent. Right. Like, I, yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I like. Speaking to your point, though, around like this space, like this, this unique opportunity. And that's a beautiful story. Again, like. I thank God that you're here. I'm I'm glad that you're here. I'm thankful that you're here. Um, that is no joke. Um, and the fact that um, you know, like that prostate cancer is like those like those are like that's a like that's something that is that has a disparate impact on black black men more than other populations, uh, which is not you know aggressively discussed enough, right? Even that, like just the right, like because I remember like even at my church, and I this was, I was like 29 at the time. And I was, you know, it was like a whole event where it was like all these men were coming and they were getting, um, it was like a, it was like a, like a drive, I guess, like for, to encourage black men to get, um, exams. Um, because like, of just like how the, the age that we, that we can, we can, um, succumb to that is much younger than our white counterparts and just stuff, you know, you don't even even thinking about say, well, the studies this. And it's like, yeah, but that study, that population that you studied was like a mostly white, male, mostly white population. So it's just not the same. So anyway, um, you know, that kind of leads me well into the next question. As we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion in healthcare, it feels like a lot to wrap your arms around for me, right? Someone who's sitting outside of the healthcare space. Uh, of course, there's a the matter of equity for your own, empl- like, you know, DEI for your employees. But then there's also like ec- the co- the concept of equitable care, which you've alluded to earlier, and that being a major gap from the inception of just like the American healthcare system. Like, how do you tackle both of those worlds simultaneously? You talked about like this inside out approach, but I'd love to hear more about like even just as you think about 
the space and like it just it feels like a lot like i'm am i am i overstating it no no you're not it is a lot that and i'm i've been in healthcare for seven months so you you know my eyes are like blown it's it's real sobering you know it, it yeah it, in outside of healthcare in my prior jobs one of the things that really fueled me in the work is closing the gap to, is doing this work to actually close the wealth gap Right, because if you just think about part of it, is that we're we're in low compensation jobs in aggregate, right? right. And so that part of a lot of my work was grounded in that, helping people navigate those conversations with the boss. Now it's different, different consequences. We're talking about our health, you know, our lives, and so um, you know, one of the things that I've learned about this work in this short time is the opportunity to foster health in the population before they ever come to an acute care facility, a hospital or a clinic. So this investment in community health and well-being. And so one of, one of the things I'm really happy about our work, and if you're looking at a really fully loaded end-to-end DEI strategy, how we show up and make strategic community partnerships in communities we serve is super important, right? So one of the things I've learned, and you know this, is mm. um, you know the social determinants of health. What? Yes. Why? Why is this happening? Food security, access from a transportation perspective, um, healthcare, um, and so how we actually invest in community health and wellness um, as an organization is a a, a, a uh, part of our strategy to actually really get after this in a meaningful way. It, cre- it requires a need to create community engagement models with community business organizations that are supporting communities of color. So not saw, trying to solve for it in the four walls of the institution, but actually solving for some of this with organizations that are actually mm-hmm. supporting black communities, Latinx communities. So um, some of our work is really trying to get after it pro- practically and real strategically. One of the things I'm super excited about here, um, and it's just one example, is birth equity. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like super passionate about this work. My mama, my wife. We are, I was talking to my wife about this. If you, I mean, if you go back to when we had kids and you knew the disproportionate impact, the mortality rate of black women and their kids versus their white counterparts, what would you do? What decisions would you make as it relates to your provider and your care? And we'd make different decisions. We'd probably be looking for a black doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're doing some work um, from a birth equity perspective, partnering with communities of color and Providence leaders at the table with real skin in the game to address this and takes action on birth equity. I've been in a few meetings, very powerful um, black organizations, um, doula-based organizations doing amazing work in the community. I think that's one example of a number of different um, opportunities to get after this work. And of, and of course, we have to do it within the institution as well. You know, you wrote something, I either saw it on LinkedIn or on Twitter about the importance of empathy and leadership. And like, I'd like to, I'd like to understand if you have any like perspective on the connection between empathetic and equitable leadership. Yeah, I think like, well, one thing about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I, I frame it up many times in, in two um, aspects. One is talent, 
right? We're, we're all about bringing in great talent. That's one of the interesting things about this work in DEI. You know, the, the, the black folks and, and the people of color we're trying to bring in the organizations, they're great and amazingly talented people that we're missing out on. Um, but it's also around leadership, right? An inclusive leader is a great leader. So um, before I answer your question, I'll give you this example. Something that always has bothered me. I, 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 was, I was in this Courageous Conversations workshop um, with um, a, a person who's leading the police department here in Oregon. This is probably like five or six years ago. He's telling me this story about his brother that had passed and, his, uh, and he had taken in his, um, his teenage daughter. And she had a black boyfriend. And he, and he had, uh, he, sh he was very open with the bias he had against black folks. Um, and the things that he learned actually hanging out with uh, his niece's boyfriend. And he started realizing this was a good dude. And he's walking through the mall once with them and seeing how he was getting looked sideways, right? What? And, and, and he told me how much he learned through that. And this is my takeaway. I see this a lot. It's like, it's too bad that you actually had to have that experience to understand that that's the bad, that's, he's missing empathy. Like I actually, I don't need to go through the experience. I don't want anybody to have those examples. And so I think of empathy as a leadership competency. I think anybody, if you just put yourself in that position, right? It's like, if, what would I be thinking right now if I was that person? It's some simple concepts, right? And I, I believe that's something to easily unpack. I think about that a lot in terms of how we create and integrate this work into just leadership development programs that exist. Empathy is a competency that I believe we all have. Use it. Yeah. You know, you talked a little bit about like this time, like you sitting in this, in this, um, this chief diversity equity inclusion officer role at Providence Health and Services, like, you know, the, the difference now is you have an opportunity to kind of like, you know, take steps that maybe you couldn't take before because you're there's a there's a, a layer. Excuse me. There was a layer removed right mm -hmm. now in the role that you sit. I'm curious, as you look at like the next 18 months, like what are you most excited about? Yeah, man, I'm excited about making change so much. I, I doing some benchmarking. There's this community clinic that supports, it sits right in a black community here in Portland. And so we were doing some benchmarking. I was in there with the medical director. Um, and she, I was, she was telling us some work they're doing to close health equity gaps, specifically around hypertension and diabetes. And they've shared that in the patient population they have, they've actually closed the gap. And so, of course, I was like, what'd you do? I mean, how did you do that? And what, what she shared was, well, you, you walked in here, Anthony. She, she shared, and, I, and she was right, there was inclusive art and imagery in the building. Like, you walked in there, it looked like a building in the Black community, right? Mm. There's, black, there's Black folks actually in running the, um, the facility. They created a different model. One of the things that she shared with me, it's all new insight as you could imagine on new healthcare. She mm. was sharing that for, 
folks whose numbers from a um, hypertension perspective were meeting a threshold that was okay, um, they were meeting with them um, to, to check up on them like every six weeks, right? Those patients whose numbers were below the threshold, they were also meeting with them every six weeks. They changed their model. They're like, you know what? If your numbers aren't hitting the threshold, come back in two weeks. I want to follow up with you to get those numbers up and, to, mm. and keep following up with you every two weeks. And she was sharing with me how she closed the gap and the amount of lives that that accounted for just in her facility over the last 10 years. She wrote, like, we probably saved 150 lives here. Wow. And that was really sobering to me. You know, I actually shed tears. So you're talking about what I want to see 18 months from now. I shared an example of some work we're doing around both equity. You know, metrics that matter in this space, we know that kind of in how we track culture and representation. But if you think about that, even in those examples, I'm looking to really contribute to the organization's work in actually closing those health equity. Right, and start really building infrastructure where we're creating change. So, before in my other corporate uh, history, it was around that wealth gap was something that really fueled me. Right now, you know, I want to be able to walk away and say, man, you know, we actually closed that gap 10%, 15%, 20%. Because I'm in my mind, I'm counting bodies, and I'm counting lives. So, Staying mm. grounded in that systemic approach where it's embedded in the system, hard to unravel, and really measure what matters along the way and really try to create change. That's how I think about it. That's what I'm hoping to get after. Man, I love that. I love that. Look, man, it's been a dope conversation. We could probably keep going another 30, 45, 50 minutes, but I, you know, I want to respect your time. I told you before I was going to respect your time. Um, before, I, before I let you go, you know, any shout outs or final thoughts you have? Man, well, first, I want to thank you. I appreciate it. And, and you know, I am like the product of so many different mentors and colleagues along the way. I, what I didn't tell you is like those, those 30 years between Pepsi and Coke, you know, 20 of them I worked for Black folks, a really unique experience that I've had. So I'm the product of that and also the community that we have. So we go back and forth. Um, but you are, go you are creating change also. And so um, I want to give you a shout out as oh, well. Oh, thank you, man. You know, and I think, you know, one of the things about this work is that by creating better workplaces, we are creating a better world, right? And it's tough. I, as I was sharing, if we think like that, you know, we can still create change. I love it, man. This is very sober. You know, your steez is like, what do I want to compare it to? It's like a, I know it's very smooth, right? And calming. <laughs> My steez? Me. Wait, what'd you say? Yeah. Your steez, like your, your, your brand, your, you know, how you show up. You know what I mean? Oh, like oh. your, how you, how you, how you do what you do. Like how you, how you showed up in this conversation. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of like, um, like some warm oatmeal, you know what I mean? Huh. Oh, there you go. There you know I mean, go. it's like it's nice. Like it doesn't feel. It's unassuming. It's not like oh, super aggressive. I feel like I show up a lot, like um, like grits, 
but what I could hot sauce and shrimps in it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just a lot cheese. Yeah. Like it's just like it's like okay, it's yeah. like what's uh and so it's it's nice. I'm just I want to acknowledge like man, I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah. And uh, I hope that um you know everybody takes the time, click the link in the show lo- show notes and learn more about uh Providence Health and Services. Make sure you click the LinkedIn link in the show notes and learn more about Anthony Harrington, who's the chief diversity officer. Man, I just appreciate you. And uh, look, you know, you're a friend of the show. Uh, I hope that you come back as things are popping off and you got things you want to talk about. Like, come back. Like, this is not a one and t- a one and done thing. Yeah, man. I'm in the family. I look forward to that opportunity. I appreciate you. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Peace. And we're back. Yo, I want to thank Anthony Harrington again. Shout out Providence Health and Services. Make sure y'all check out the link in the show notes. Learn more about Providence Health and Services. Learn more about Anthony. And uh, look, if you haven't already, make sure you tell somebody about Living Corporate, right? Tell a family member, especially come look, it's Thanksgiving. You know, the vaccine is out there. So people moving around a little bit more. I know I'm really excited. I'm going to be hanging out with my family. Just really thankful to see everybody i'm gonna i'm not gonna shout out nobody by name because i didn't tell them i was gonna do that but really thankful to see my family thankful to see my mom and um you know while you're doing that while you're having your dinners and your conversation just your um, community your fellowship let them know about living corporate i'm sure some of y'all gonna have some conversations some racy conversations or some challenging discussions just you know i'm saying let let them know about living corporate you know what i mean give us five stars and up a podcast and uh we'll talk to y'all soon peace Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.